This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, February 12, 2024. I'm Caleb Brown. Along a number of dimensions, it makes little sense for the Biden administration to pause exports of liquefied natural gas. Cato's Travis Fisher explains why. Where does the U.S. stand in terms of uh, liquefied natural gas production and how useful is it? So it's incredibly useful. We have become a large producer. So it's mostly the shale gas boom. This is extracting natural gas from shale rock formations. And usually people call that fracking. It's a combination of horizontal drilling and the hydraulic fracturing process. Turns out we've been able to do a ridiculous amount of gas production. So much so that we go from, I don't know, about 10 years ago, the conversation was around LNG imports so that we'd need to get more gas from other countries. We've completely reversed that. And now we're producing so much that we're exporting. And we're not just exporting. We just became in 2023 the largest LNG exporter globally. So we went from importing it about 10 years ago to over the course of, you know, 2015 was the first year we started really exporting it. Now we're already the global leader. So it's been it's been a big deal. Our listeners may recall that there was such a boom in this production, demand for the specific type of sand that was necessary to make this process uh, easier. There was uh, a, a housing crisis that struck North Dakota as people were uh, scurrying up there to try to take advantage of it and, and the very high salaries that were being offered. And the product of that has been uh, that the U.S. is now the number one, if not producer, but exporter of liquefied natural gas. That's right. And it coincides with, I mean, you can apply the same technology to produce oil from shale. So we've done that too. And a lot of the play in the Dakotas has been oil. Oftentimes you get both. So we've actually become the world's largest producer combined of oil and gas. And it's because of that 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 boom in in, in the shale plays. Okay. So what's the upside? I mean, the, the United States should fancy itself a major player in global trade, which uh, we currently are, but there are a lot of people who don't necessarily like that for one reason or another. But in the specific context of oil and oil products, what is, what's the upside of being a massive producer? Certainly our costs are lower, but what else? Well, so once you start producing that amount of energy, both from oil and from gas, you can have global impacts. So what we've seen is the global crude oil market is largely driven by the U.S. now. And that's a, I think that's a good thing. You would like to see the power come away from, you know, the OPEC countries and the the, the cartels of the world. And that's exactly what's happened. I mean, we've, we have been able to produce so much that we basically have taken away that power. So global markets are not only a bit more stable, of course, you have to put an asterisk there. The, the COVID era Crude oil futures actually went negative for a moment, so uh, there's a whole lot of inherent uncertainty in the markets. But with the U.S. producing as much as it does, and with the other countries, it's very top-down. It's very, like, they have national targets that the government tells them to hit. As you know, that's not the case in the U.S. Of course, it could be, depending on whether we're allowed to export it. So the other thing, the other bit of context is, in, I believe, 2016 was when we finally lifted the oil, the crude oil export ban. So around the same time, we're talking about shifting to LNG exports, and we've removed the formal obstacle to, to crude oil exports. So both of those policy moves plus the, the technology moves changed everything. So in terms of even 
global prices and keeping prices down for global consumers, we've basically been feeding the world with hydrocarbons, with oil and gas for, you know, the better part of a decade now. Why does Joe Biden want to slow or stop LNG exports? His stated reason, because we have to, I'll steel man the White House for a moment, even though I don't really love doing that. Um, But to be fair to them, they're saying more information has come to light about the life cycle emissions when you produce this much gas and uh, convert it to a liquid and ship it. And they want to evaluate the climate change impacts of that. They also, in in passing, they referenced impacts to U.S. consumers uh, and U.S. manufacturing and, and things like that. The reason I don't buy any of those excuses is, first of all, the timing. So Biden was elected on a platform of he's, he pledged, he guaranteed he was going to end fossil fuels. But for three years, the LNG exports kept going. And I that was the one thing that I was prepared to to praise him about was at least he kept the the global LNG trade going and allowed us to be you know number one in the world, which is amazing. So I, I really don't understand what it was three years later that that decided he decided to change his mind. But here's here's what they said: they were getting a lot of pressure from environmental groups. So this is like the Bill McKibbins of the world from 350.org, and their whole concept is this: keep it in the ground. We need to not build any new fossil fuel infrastructure. So that means no new pipelines to move gas or oil, no new production. So there's the production, the transport, and even export and use. And in this case, they want to cut off the LNG export because that is, once you build that facility, you know, you have to go through a a long approval process um, just on the facility side. And then the DOE comes in on the back end and says, either green light, you can export it to a non-free trade agreement country, which is, I, I think, everybody in Europe, I'm not sure. That final stage, they the environmentalists saw it as a choke point. And they said, well, we, we can cut it off here because this is purely an administration play. So all we have to do is convince Biden to do this and and he'll do it. And for some reason, those scales tipped. I, I, I don't fully understand it. There was a, a TikToker who went viral on this aspect, but they, that's been the plea all along was that keep it in the ground. We shouldn't be exporting this stuff. If I understand you correctly, if we don't keep it in the ground, then there are strong reasons to produce facilities to make that export easier. And that creates a political constituency to continue to not keep it in the ground, to continue producing it for export. And the the upside for the rest of the world is the U.S. effectively providing cheap, plentiful energy for countries, uh, for people in countries who'd otherwise be paying quite a bit more for it. Exactly. And so there are a lot of countries who are just unable to produce their own. There are some who are unwilling to produce their own. One specific example of a country that just can't produce gas is, is Japan, and they've long been an LNG importer. And... So the question there is, why wouldn't we want to provide gas to Japan? They need it. Same for Europe. I mean, especially in the context, this is what kind of grinds my gears about this, the context of the Russia-Ukraine saga. Western Europe is starved of gas, and the only country that basically has a a dedicated pipeline to supply it is Russia. And so we've seen sort of the, the political implications of that. So then for the U.S., not just to become the number one global supplier of LNG, 
But in a time of crisis, to be able to tell your allies, we we have your back, we can supply this for you. Um, yeah, to uh, to change our minds on that, that's that's mind boggling. I mean, that, that conflict is still going on. So it, that 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 part is especially troubling. So related question then, w- with respect to liquefied natural gas versus products from crude oil, uh, what are the emissions implications of LNG versus other sources of energy? So what's interesting about gas, I mean, we're really, we're talking about methane for the most part, CH4, and it is much cleaner burning than any other fossil fuel. So you, you, you combust it for the most part, it's just H2O and CO2 that, that results. So there's none of the particulate matter problems that you see with coal, sort of like black carbon soot issues, no association with mercury and things like that with coal. And there's even some of that with with crude oil. So it's it's an incredibly clean burning in terms of the particulate matter and, and other real pollutants. Now, I say real pollutants because the thing that it still does is it has a greenhouse gas problem, which is both the CO2 if it's combusted or the methane itself if it leaks. That's what a lot of people are pointing to now and saying, we actually don't like LNG. We don't like gas at all because somewhere in the production and transport process, there's enough leakage that makes it, in a greenhouse gas sense, just as bad as coal. I'm not sure I buy into that. That's the argument now. But that's where people are coming from when they say, because you know, you, you think back to even, even before environmentalists turned their back on, on gas, there was the Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign sponsored in part by Chesapeake Energy, a gas producer. So there was sort of this gas versus coal on a on a greenhouse gas front. Now that especially I think the coal industry has been so damaged, it's almost like, well, that is yesterday's problem and now we need to go after gas. And that that's the impression that I get. Let's recap. This is a relatively low emission product that the United States is the major producer of. We could be using it strategically to benefit our allies in Europe, to benefit our ally Japan, and to provide them with cheap energy that otherwise they would pay more for or have to deal more directly with less than savory actors like Russia. And uh, the president would like to, at least temporarily, keep it in the ground. Yeah. So the, the detail to add to the pause, that's what they're calling it. This is a pause on approvals for new LNG exports. So they'll say things like, and they, this is all true, that the existing approvals that they've already granted, nothing changes there. The problem is global demand for gas is only going to grow. So then the question is, well, why would we introduce this uncertainty? And this is where I need to put on the tinfoil hat. This sounds to me like the uncertainty is sort of the name of the game. You know, it's it's the uncertainty that raises costs for companies. It's the uncertainty that brings in all sorts of, well, now you need more lobbying efforts. And then it's a new chip that they can play to say, oh, we'll, we'll put this issue to bed if we can get, you know, some progress on some other issue. So it seems like it's it's pure politics. They're just playing politics with it. And part of it is, well, let's just introduce some uncertainty because I'll explain what I think they could have done if they were legitimately concerned about either the greenhouse gas implications of the LNG export market or impacts to U.S. consumers. You don't have to pause to study. The the DOE has hundreds of thousands of employees. They can 
they can do both. They can continue to approve while they study. It's this sort of, and the timing is suspect. We're getting closer to the election. President's trying to figure out what his issues are to campaign on. Um, And this is also in the context of environmentalists are upset about the Willow Project, which allowed drilling in Alaska. So that's uh, another issue is I think he's trying to placate this environmentalist wing of his party. Travis Fisher directs energy and environmental policy studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.